I'm Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Morgan Stanley, a proud sponsor of StoryCorps. Morgan Stanley is committed to giving back and to fostering meaningful dialogue among people and communities. MorganStanley.com. It can be hard to talk about hope, especially after the year we just had, but also because it can look and feel different for everyone. Sometimes it comes to us in a moment, other times it takes decades to inspire. But either way, hope is one of those magic ingredients that can truly change the way we see ourselves and the world around us. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm your host, Camila Kashani. This week, we're bringing you four stories from people who found that little bit of magic when they least expected it. things off with Ellen Hughes and Keith Miller. Their paths first crossed in 2018 in Chicago. Ellen was on her way to the ER with her 33-year-old son, Walker. Walker has autism, and he was having a really bad reaction to a new medication. When they got to the hospital, Walker got more upset, and he bit Ellen's arm. That's when they encountered public safety sergeant Keith Miller. We were already anticipating what was going to happen in this emergency room. Because when he was a little boy, an officer got on his back while he was screaming. And he's been handcuffed to gurneys in emergency rooms just for having a seizure and being big. That day, we show up at a hospital. I'm sitting there brokenhearted, scared out of my mind, bleeding. And Walker's trying to run away. And I see like five guys on him. And all I can think is, this will not end well. But suddenly I hear this cute game. All right. <laughs> he's trying to escape, and you're going, Walker gets up. Walker sits down. Walker scoots back. Walker lies down. And then he said, high fives all around. And I thought, he won't do it. And I look, and he's beaming, and he's high-fiving every mm-hmm. single officer. Mm-hmm. And then you started singing, and I thought I would lose it forever. I started singing Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You're singing Mr. Rogers with yes. these men. <laughs> and he went from being terrified Mm -hmm. to feeling like he had cool friends, cool guys hanging out with him. I saw this man who was dealing with something he just did not understand. Yes. And I saw the fear in your face. It it touched me personally. Um, My son is 14. Uh, He was 15 months when he was first diagnosed as being autistic. Being a father of a child who has autism, I don't know what changes is going to occur in him. And as parents, we're there to help them deal with their obstacles. And if we can't do it by ourselves, there's other people out there to help. And I want to be one of those other people. Well, nobody else does what you do. We look like a very scary situation coming in there. And we turned into a kind of party I think people wanted to join. I've been in a lot of ERs. And some people have been kind of nice. I never sat there and felt like this is one of the most important moments of my life. Ellen Hughes and Sergeant Keith Miller for StoryCorps in Chicago, Illinois. Next, a conversation between two brothers. Growing up, things were rocky between Derek and Raymond Storms. Their home life was unstable, and they dealt with that in really different ways. 
Derek had a lot of anger, and most of the time it was aimed at Raymond. After high school, Derek joined the Marines, and Raymond went to college to study opera. And for a while, it seemed like there was little hope of them building a relationship. At StoryCorps, Derek and Raymond sat down to remember how they repaired what was once broken between them. And a little warning, this one has some cussing. How would you describe us as kids? Complete opposites. <laughs> Everybody liked you. You know, you would be talking to the elderly neighbor up the street. I was getting in trouble blowing up mailboxes. I just remember you being so cruel. Like telling me one day that kids really can fly, but you have to really trust. So we went on that rickety swing set, and I remember you pushing me, saying, now jump and think of a happy thought. And I screamed out pizza, and I, I fell into mom's rosebush. And your response to me was, oh, because you're so fat, you should have said two happy thoughts. I was really at war with the world. I didn't know if I would ever be close to anybody. I feel like our relationship started to shift when we found out that you were going to be deployed to Iraq. Mm -hmm. And I remember grandma making me call you and you were like, what? And she was looking at me with those dark eyes. And I was like, all right, I'm going to say something vulnerable. And I said, I was always envious of you as a kid. And you were, like, so quiet. You said, I've always been jealous of you. Everyone wants to be your best friend. And I scare people. I think when you're faced with your mortality, I began to take the meaningful things in my life more seriously. I remember we were just getting ready to go into Nazaria, and a reporter had a global cell phone. And I said, do you mind if I make a call on that? At that time, I was in music school for opera, and you literally were like, the Marines here don't believe you're going to be the next Pavarotti. Show them, show them. Sing the national anthem. And they were like, fucking sing! Hoo-ha, hoo-ha! And I remember just starting to sing, oh, say, Ken, just starting to sing the national anthem, and they went ballistic. <laughs> it was like night and day. Did you ever think we'd be close? No. You were walking rage. There was so much anger that I had towards you as a child. But I'm grateful for it now because I forged that into this white hot steel of love. I guess I just needed help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you need somebody kind of showing you the way. You know, that lighthouse to help you cross over. Mm. I'm thankful for you for that. Seeing you bloom into this, like, sensitive, loving human being, there's no way someone could tell me, like, miracles don't exist. It feels a lot better on this side, mm -hmm. that's for sure. That was Derek Storms and his brother Raymond in Port St. Lucie, Florida, for StoryCorps. After a short break, how grief gave way to an unlikely friendship. Stay with us.
Support for the StoryCorps podcast and the following message come from Subaru. When the pandemic began, Subaru and its retailers donated 50 million meals to local food banks. The need is still so great, they're doing it again. Through the Subaru Love Promise, Subaru and its retailers across the country are making a donation to provide an additional 100 million meals to Feeding America. This action will help make meals available at 199 local food banks across the country. The Subaru Love Promise. It's one more reason why Subaru is more than a car company. If you're never quite sure how to answer the question, Where are you from? NPR's Rough Translation might be the podcast for you. Yes, finally, someone else. Give us your accents and your origin stories, your cross-cultural misfits yearning to just be, and listen to Rough Translation on NPR. Welcome back. Back in 1994, Lisa Garzon married the then love of her life, John Joyce. Here she is talking about their relationship. He was father of my four children and at one point my best friend. But John became alcoholic and things got volatile. So I had to have him leave and he stopped showing up for visits. I tried to follow where he was and I knew that he was homeless. That just always worried me. I didn't want him to die on the streets. John eventually got back on his feet. In 2007, he met Megan Smith. At the time, they were both working in homeless advocacy in Rhode Island, and they ended up falling in love. John died from cancer in 2013. But in his death, a new friendship was born between the two women who loved him the most. Megan starts the conversation. I met John while he was homeless, and you guys hadn't been in contact for a bit of time. It had been 11 or 12 years. But it was a different place and time in his life. He was sober, and about that time, he got an apartment. But then he found out that he had cancer. And I met you the day before John died. The reason I didn't reach out to you sooner was because John didn't want to do more harm. I was scared to meet you because I didn't know what to expect. And I can remember just looking at him and having great sadness. And I kissed him on the forehead, told him that I loved him. And I whispered in his ear that I forgave him. After that, it was all about you, not John, because you were losing the man that you loved. We had a memorial service and you invited me to sit with you and the children. It was hard, I'm sure, to hear everyone speak positive when you knew another component. But when we got up at the end of the service, your daughter reached out and locked elbows with me. Yes, she did. And we walked out of the church arm in arm. And then I forget which of us reached out to the other one but said, you know, we should get together soon. We went out to dinner. And then we sat in the car and talked for like another three hours or something. Yeah. It was pouring rain out. We got out of the car so I could have a cigarette. And then in the pouring rain, we just hugged. And I just said, I hope that you'll be a part of our lives. And you have been ever since. That was Lisa Garzon and Megan Smith in 2014. Before John died, he helped pass a homeless Bill of Rights in Rhode Island. 
The law prevents governments, healthcare workers, employers, and others from treating people who are homeless unfairly because of their housing status. Our final story starts in Sing Sing Prison in 1998. That's where Robert Sanchez first met Fred Davey. Robert was serving 15 years for a first-time nonviolent drug offense. This was an extremely harsh sentence, but it was really common under New York's Rockefeller drug laws. Fred Davey was a minister at the time. The prison had just started a graduate program, and Robert was studying to get his master's in theology. In 2016, they came to StoryCorps to remember the first time Fred visited his class. We met at Sing Sing Mm -hmm. in this small windowless room. Yeah, exactly. Which didn't look like much of an educational (laughs) setting. (laughs) But that room created magic. I think it was 16 men. Most of us were there for about 15, 20 years. I remember being impressed at how well-read you guys were. Fred, we didn't have much else <laughs> to do. <laughs> I remember that you said you had no arrest prior, nothing in your system, and nothing on you. And you got 15 years of life or a nonviolent drug charge. But I thought, he's making that up. It can't be possible. <laughs> it can't be possible, right. I think I survived it by always having hope. Mm-hmm. What is life without hope? Even an iota of light can go a long Mm -hmm. way. And my first impression of you was here's this beautiful, kind man who, for whatever reason, just represents hope to me. All these years, I never knew this had that much impact on you. Oh, it did, Fred. It did. I've been home for 16 years now. When I came home, I was so afraid. But I knew that I can pick up the phone and tell you, Fred, I don't Mm -hmm. get this shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I could just ask the dumbest questions ever. But you never told me they were dumb. For me, I had people in my corner every step of the way. My dad wasn't there. But if things messed up, no matter where I was, I could always go to my mother's front porch and know that I was welcome. I have that from you, but I didn't have that from anywhere else. You know, it's weird because I'm not your son. Right. (laughs) But, you know, I didn't grow up with a father. My father died from an overdose. Mm -hmm. So I saw you as, like, if I had a dad, if I had somebody that was going to guide me, Mm -hmm. that was you. Wow, thank you. Most folks who've been through what you've been through don't get this far. Yeah, I got to be reminded every now and then. There are times that I get bitter and angry. At my situation, I live a pretty lonely life. And if I'm not careful, I can fall into these doldrums. But just you being there to be able to listen to me and say, you know what, you're going to be okay. It's a tremendous gift. And I'm a lucky man. Robert Sanchez with his mentor, Fred Davey, at StoryCorps in New York City. After being released from prison in 2001, Robert got a second master's in social work, and he spent his career helping people who were coming out of the prison system. That's all for this episode of the StoryCorps podcast. To read about the music we used in this episode, head to storycorps.org. While you're there, you can also check out original artwork created by Lindsay Mound. 
This episode was produced by Sylvie Lubau and Judd S.D. Kendall, who's also our editor. Our technical director is Jared Floyd, who also wrote our theme song. Natsumi Ajisaka is our fact checker. Special thanks to StoryCorps producers Aisha Turner and Camila Kerwin. And facilitators, Rocio Santos, Rochelle Kwan, and Christina Stanton. For the StoryCorps podcast, I'm Camila Kashani. Catch you next week. This podcast is brought to you by supporters of StoryCorps, an independently funded nonprofit organization, and is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.